Well done, well done. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Bless you guys. Happy Sunday morning. I am curious because I am seeing quite a lot of new faces here. Do we have anyone who's visiting from out of town yet this early? Yeah, very good. We got some family members already starting to make their way in from out of town. Well, welcome. I'm glad your travels have been safe, and I'm hoping and praying that this week is just going to be a delightful week for you, for your family, and that you leave Colorado Springs and head back home restored and refreshed, and that you encounter the Lord in some way throughout your time here in our city. So bless you, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining your family as they join their spiritual family here with us this morning. Um, What I'd like to do here, I know this is a little uncharacteristic, but while we were in worship, I had this sense that there were several of us in the room that were carrying maybe some heavy burdens into the house this morning. So I'm not carrying heavy burdens. I'm carrying some light burdens. I want to share with you, it's, it's been one of those weeks for the Duncan household. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that as I share some of this, that I don't uh, solicit any kind of pity. What I'm hoping is that every one of us realize that every single one of us in this room, any day of the week, any week of the year, can probably go through it like on a dime, right? And one of the things that helps to like carry us through when we find ourselves going through difficult, dark, frustrating, disappointing seasons is that we lean into God, that we, that we lift those things up to him. I hope Midtown is a place where you never feel like you have to put on a face. I hope Midtown is not a place where we practice plastic Christianity. You know what I mean? Praise God, brother. Everything's great. But I pray that Midtown is a place where just authentic devotion, even desperation for God in God is a place where you're safe to express that. Duncan Household this week, we've had marital spats. We've had unexpected trips to the hospital, nothing serious. We've had sleepless nights, late nights. We've had kids sick, have to stay home from school and miss a concert they've been preparing for for months, so shattered with disappointment. Um, There's just been several things that we had not expected this week. It's just been one of those kinds of weeks. And uh, to top it all off this morning, I'm, I'm up early, I'm spending some time with the Lord, and I'm thinking, my God, it's really cold in this house. So, and I'm one of those, I'm one of those guys who already naturally sets the thermostat down a little bit lower than, but it was, it was colder than what I set my thermostat at. It was like 65 in the house. And I was like, what is going on here? So I bump it up. I go into my prayer room and, uh, and the house is just not warming up and it's staying right there at 65. I'm like, you know, 67, 68, 69, 70. And I'm trying to figure out what's happening here. I run down to the furnace. I have no idea what I'm doing down there. I'm just like, hmm, looks okay to me. (laughs) Big silver box. That's great. Nothing's on fire. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. And then as as I'm heading out, like just down in this little corner, my eye spots, oh, there's a filter down here, y'all. I didn't know you're supposed to change that thing out. Like... Once every three months. So anyways, on top of everything else, 
Like I shoot over to Home Depot. I say bye to the family. 15 minutes later, I come back in. They're like, what are you doing here? I go, look, look at this, guys. Look, this is what a filter is supposed to look like. (laughs) And they're like, they're so confused. They're like, what are you doing? So I go downstairs and I pull out the other filter and I say, this is what a filter is not supposed to look like. (laughs) Yeah, that was this morning. (laughs) That will preach. (sighs) You know, that's minor. That's minor. But some of us are bringing serious things into the house of the Lord this morning. Some of us are bringing physical ailments that are literally changing our lives as we know it. Some of us are bringing not only pain physically, we're bringing pain emotionally into the presence of the Lord today. Some of us are bringing our own disappointment. Some of us are bringing, I didn't think that I would be here at this season and stage of my life. Marriage isn't what I expected it to look like. Singleness isn't what I expected it to look like. My kids aren't where I expected them to be. I mean, it's on and on and on. And what I want to do this morning is I want, I want us to pray together. I want to pray for you, but I want us to pray together. And the way I want to lead us in this, I want to read this verse to you. It's a very simple verse. It's a well-known verse, handful of verses. And then I want us to just take every one of our cares, every one of our burdens, every one of our frustrations, our fatigue, our disappointment. And I want us to just lift that up to God today. I want us to lift it up to him again. I know some of you are saying, Pastor Jade, I do this. I, I, I know you do. I know some of your stories. But together as a spiritual family, as a community of faith and believers, I want us to lift our hearts and our faith up to the Lord. So this is found in Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 4, the scripture says, Rejoice in the Lord always. So I don't rejoice in my circumstances. I don't rejoice in pain and suffering. There's something really twisted and morbid about that. I rejoice in the Lord I rejoice in who he is. I rejoice in what he has done. I rejoice in what he's promised. I rejoice in the fact that his character is enduring. That regardless of what life throws at me, that he has promised to always be right there in the middle of it, walking with me through it, giving me perspective, reinforcing me with strength providing me wisdom for things that seem out of control, refortifying my faith when my faith falters. And guys, my faith falters, right? Backing me up when the enemy bombards my mind. And the enemy has done a number on me this week, just trying to pull me into his conversations and convince me of his viewpoint, which is always wrong. The enemy's vantage point is always wrong because he's an accuser and he's a liar and he's a deceiver. Like that's his title. That's his job description. And he's, he's so masterful at pulling us into his conversation because his conversation sounds like our own thoughts. And we begin to rehearse the thoughts of the enemy so much that we think that it's real and it's true. And we begin to convince ourselves that his perspective of life and reality is what is true. And it's not, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Many scholars believe that Paul was actually in prison when he was writing this. So he had the credibility, the resume to say, guys, I'm not rejoicing that I'm in prison, suffering hardship, 
I'm rejoicing that God is who God says he is and he will always be that. Verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That's difficult. Do not be anxious about anything. But, and here's how, we can keep from living in anxiety in every situation that you face. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So friends, let's do that today. You just hold your hands out like so. Just whatever it is right now that you're holding, and it could be several things. Be holding your marriage, could be holding your physical health, could be holding the pain of a lost loved one. Some of you are in this room right now, and this is your first Christmas season without someone that you care very, very deeply about. I want you just to hold that before the Lord. And I want you to give language to that. God, I'm struggling, I'm suffering, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm scared. I'm angry. Lord, I'm confused right now. Don't know which way is up. Lord, I'm so disheartened. Just hold that before the Lord. Name that. God, I'm frustrated. I'm anxious. Lord, I'm sorrowful. God, I'm grieving right now. Lord, right now we just hold all of the cares, all of the weights, all of the fears, all of the burdens, we just hold them up right now. We lift them up to you. We're not going to paint over them. We're not going to ignore them. We're not going to pretend that they're not real or that they don't exist. We're not going to slap on a happy face. We're going to offer them to you today. God, life is hard right now for some of us. And we lift our burdens to you. Come. Draw near to us right now. Draw near to us. Draw near to us. Draw near to us, oh God, I pray. By your spirit, draw near to us. God, through a text message, through a hug, through loved ones that draw near to us, you are in that. God, I pray you would draw near to us. Comfort, comfort, comfort your people today, oh God. Strengthen, strengthen Strengthen your people today, oh God. Be near. Fortify our faith. Bring heavenly perspective. Fill our hearts with a peace, God, that is, that's ridiculous. Fill our hearts with a peace that is literally impossible for us to garner and sustain on our own. God, we need the peace of the Lord. Come, peace of God. Joy of the Lord, come, fill us. Impossible joy immaculate joy. Come, fill our hearts today. Lord, I ask today that every lie of the enemy, the Lord, the enemy's just been having a field day on some of you. And right now, God, I pray that in the authority of Jesus' name that you would silence every conversation and that you would silence every suggestion of the enemy over my friends today. And Lord, that you would bring clarity and that you would bring light and illumination. And that you, oh God, would fill our hearts with peace. And I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. Guys, thanks for going there. Was that for one person? Anybody in the room? Was there one person in the room? That's all I need. I just need one to know that the Lord is leading us into those spaces. Well, guys, we're on the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's been, it's been a very beautiful season of Advent.
for us, for the Duncan household, in spite some of the little trivial challenges, the unexpected irritants that we've walked through. It's been just a slow and steady season for us, and I hope that the same thing has happened for you. And if not, that this week, that I'm just prayed like just a bookend of protection around this week for you, that you would find yourself encased in the presence and in the peace of God this week. We're closing out our Advent season because Christmas Eve is essentially kind of the, the final bookend of Advent as we go into the season of Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to turn to the book of Matthew. And I have a little bit of an unorthodox message this morning taken from Joseph's life. And I encourage you to expand your imagination with me as we take a look at one of the hidden figures of the Christmas story. Let's read this together and then we'll dive in. Beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through or by, from, the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, the New Revised Standard says, because Joseph was a righteous man. And that's important. I want you to remember that. The NIV says that because Joseph was faithful to the law, other translations say because he was a righteous man. Here's what he decided to do. And I think this was very noble of Joseph. He said, I'm going to dismiss her or divorce her quietly because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That's good. It's noble. It's right. Good man. Good job, Joseph. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, Again, the NRSV says, after he had resolved to do this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures to us today? And would you illuminate the scriptures beyond just a good, token, timely message? Would you illuminate the scriptures into the character of Jesus? Would you illuminate the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts to the reality of who you are? God, that we would see you in a way maybe that we haven't seen you before, that we would see the Christian life in a way that we haven't seen it before. And God, that we would be drawn to you. Lord, I pray that in the same way that you came to Mary, the same way you came to Joseph, I pray that you'd come to us, that you would meet with us, that you would encounter us. God, in so doing, I pray that you would upend and change our lives forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Mary gets a lot of the spotlight and the attention in the Christmas story, and understandably so, right? I mean, she's, she's a young gal. She's a virgin, and what happens with Mary is utterly and absolutely miraculous. 
And what I find to be very fascinating and interesting is that in a patriarchal culture that Joseph is spotlighted very minimally. And then once we kind of get Joseph's story in the gospel of Matthew, because Luke focuses primarily on Mary. So once we get this little bird's eye view into Joseph's life, the father of Jesus, the human biological father of Jesus, he just kind of slips away and we never hear from Joseph again. And if I'm understanding this correctly, as I've read through the gospels here several times, I I don't even think we hear Joseph speak in the gospel accounts of Jesus's father's life. Journeying with God is, I think it's a risky thing. I think it's a good risk. But when I say it's risky, I think what I'm trying to say here is that journeying with God is it's very messy. It's very unpredictable. And as I look at the story of Joseph, what comes into focus for me is that God is doing with Joseph what he has done with people in the story of redemptive history. He does the same thing over and over and over again. And very simply, this is what he does. He invites people to go with him on a journey. God has invited every single one of us in this room on a journey. Come, come follow me. Come to unpredictable places. You know, one of the things I love doing with my kids is just throwing them in the car and saying, guys, just jump in and let's go. And then, you know, as characteristic with little five, six, eight, 10, 12 year olds, where are we going? What are we doing? Where are we going? What are we doing? Are we there yet? Where are we going? What are we doing? And one of our favorite little responses that Christian like, like to give them is, guys, we're just going where the wind blows. We're just going where the wind blows, which sometimes means I've got a really great surprise. Other times it means I have no idea where we're going. (laughs) And my two oldest are like, ah, we're on to you. And now we know that you really don't know what you're doing most of the time. (laughs) Cat's out the back. So unlike me, when God says, jump in the car and go with me, he knows exactly where you're going and he knows exactly what he's up to. And what I want to do as we look at Joseph's life, I want to highlight a couple of invitations that I see that God makes to Joseph that I think that he makes to every single one of us. Number one, God invites Joseph into his story. God invites Joseph into this great, magnificent, big God story that Joseph has the option to opt in or opt out of God's story. It was interesting as I was reading one particular commentary, they, they presented something that I never thought about before, but makes a lot of sense. And that very simply is, is that God, God could have done this any way that he wanted to. And in fact, it probably would have been a lot easier for Joseph had God just showed up to Mary before they got engaged. Think about that. Like in some ways, the story would have been a lot more spectacular. Like, here's a young gal, she's not married, and all of a sudden, like, she is born with a child. And everybody in this small little community who's kind of in her life and watching her grow up are like, it's a miracle, it's a bona fide miracle. We're like, we're around this young gal. We see her, there's nothing scandalous here, but yet God waits until she's betrothed. And in the Jewish culture, to be betrothed or to be engaged 
was like, it was similar to being married. This is why when the scriptures tell us that Joseph decides quietly to divorce her, it's because to be engaged was equal to being married. And so when you look at this through Joseph's vantage point, Joseph finds himself in this real prickly conundrum. He finds himself in this, I'm just going to call it what it is. It's a jacked up situation, y'all. I mean, come on, all the men in the house, like walk with me on this. Like, come on, you've done the whole deal. Like you've thrown the engagement out there on Instagram. You've done, you've done all the planning. Like Joseph's got the whole family around. Mary's like, oh my God, like the whole deal. People are hiding in bushes, taking pictures. Joseph's like, yeah, yeah, I nailed this one, right? And then a few weeks later, she's like, hey, and by the way, um, don't put this on Instagram, but... And here's what's running through my mind, because when we go, when we look at Luke's account, Mary was aware that she was pregnant with Jesus well before the angel shows up to Joseph. What we don't know is, did Mary have a conversation with Joseph? Did she say, hey, listen, you should know that in a few weeks... It's not Christmas cookies and eggnog, yo. It's like <laughs> something's going on there. And just all the whole layout of the story is peculiar to me. And we know none of this was accidental or coincidental because God doesn't do things by accident and he doesn't do things by coincidence. There's a reason why God waits for Joseph to get engaged to Mary before he ever shows up to Mary and overshadows her with the Christ child. What is that? What could that be? Why? Why did you wait? What's the opportunity here? What's the invitation? God invites Joseph into a larger story of what he's doing. When we find out, as we read throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 2, in Matthew chapter 2, we find that Joseph is still engaging with these prophetic dreams And that Joseph's primary role in Mary and Jesus' life in the earlier years, while Jesus is vulnerable, Joseph's primary role is to protect and to defend them physically. How many of you guys are tracking with me on the story here? We're not going to read the scriptures, but what we find out there is that Jesus is actually in trouble. His life is being threatened. And so through a series of dreams, Joseph, in the middle of the night, wakes up Mary and takes the baby Jesus. He's like, guys, we're we're in trouble. We've got to get out of here. And so one of the ways that Joseph is serving the family in this story is by protecting them, keeping them safe physically. In fact, they come back after Herod dies, Joseph gets another dream and he's like, things are safe. He brings them back to their birth town, but then gets another dream because he realized things aren't safe here. And so we find that one of Joseph's primary roles really is just navigating Mary and Jesus through these like real turbulent seasons of his infancy. What what I think here is interesting too is let's imagine a young gal and let's imagine that Joseph decides to divorce her. And as the scriptures tell us that he decides to do it quietly because that's the quote unquote righteous thing to do. What does Mary's life look like? What does Mary's life look like And what is the town gossip? Come on, go there with me. So we have a young couple. They meet each other. They fall in love. They get engaged. 
Everybody in the town, guys, this is a small town. So everybody knows everybody's business. Everybody knows that Joseph and Mary are together and that under the rabbinical law, what we also know is that a man was justified in divorcing a woman on grounds of marital infidelity. So now we have a young teenage girl who's beginning to show, a little baby bump going on. And then all of a sudden, Joseph and Mary aren't found around town anymore because we find out that Joseph has divorced her. So what does this look like for Mary? This is Scarlet Letter, right? This is shame. She's ostracized from the community. Maybe she, she goes in and she lives with Zachariah and Elizabeth, who knows? But what we know is that the trajectory of Mary's life is altered by this one decision, which could have massive ramifications on Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant and he's in a wrestling match with himself. He's in a wrestling match with Guys, let's just be honest here. I mean, like, this has never happened in history before. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of fast ones that young gals have tried to pull, but, you know, yeah, it's your baby. But Mary showing up and saying, this is God's baby, Joseph. Like, he's got no reference point. He's like, he's like, Torah, Moses, Abraham, <laughs> David, so- what, what do I do with this one? Like nowhere in the Old Testament scriptures do I have any reference point for what she is saying to me right now. And understandably, like jo- Joseph is weighing this out in his soul. I think he's angry. I'd be angry. He's betrayed, feels violated. I think maybe a little broken trust. There's some suspicion here. Are you telling me the truth? Who is it? Just tell me who it is. Where's he at? Who was it really? Mary, square up. Who was this? I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit? (laughs) Square up. That's right. Mary, be honest with me here. The ramifications of Joseph deciding to do what was righteous according to Old Testament law could have ruined the whole enterprise. Now, by deciding to go ahead and say, okay, well, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm going to stick with you. Like the greatest ramification now is that Joseph assumes the shame. Mary and Jesus are covered. And do you know who takes that on? Joseph does. Now it just looks like Joseph got a little excited a little too early. Are you tracking? And who's that on? That's not on Mary. That's not on Jesus. That's on Joseph. And here's what we find. We find that sometimes following God into his invitation to go into his story looks nothing like we could have ever imagined it. How many of you could say, if you were to go out to coffee and I were to ask you, how'd you find yourself in Colorado Springs? Or are you doing what now, what you, you know, imagined you were doing 20 years ago? Or how did you find the Lord? Or if I were to ask you some of those kinds of questions, how many of you would say that the Lord has taken me on a journey I could have never scripted for myself? And that's because following God, it's a journey of unpredictability. It reminds me of how this whole thing started in Genesis chapter 12, when God shows up to a pagan idolatrous idol worshiper, a guy by the name of Abram. And he shows up, and this is all he gives them. God shows up and he says, hey, leave your house, 
leave your father's household, take your wife and follow me. And just winking a gun, trust me. Trust me. And what we discover is this. Sometimes, actually, I'm going to say it like this. Most of the time, we discover who God is simply by following him in the journey he invites us to. Like, this is how you get to know who God is. You don't, you don't get to know who he is in safe places. You don't get to know who he is by charting your own course. Here's another way of saying it like this. God is not a stepping stone to your destiny. God is not a stepping stone to you fulfilling your best life now. God is not something that you use in order for you to get the life that you always wanted. God is saying, come and follow me and discover who I am as I create a life for you that you could have never imagined. So God invites Joseph into his story. It's confusing. It's disorienting. It doesn't make any sense. It's unprecedented. It's unpredictable. And yet this is the invitation that God extends to Joseph. And by the way, Joseph could have said no. The angel shows up, and this is essentially what the, what the angel says to Joseph. Hey, listen, don't be afraid. Take her as your wife, because what she is carrying is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph could have said, you know what? I'm out. I'm not willing to carry this kind of shame burden. And then all of a sudden, what we find is he fulfills his role. He, he pops up on the scene one more time in Luke chapter 2. And we find that when Jesus is 12 years old, that Joseph and Mary are both looking for him. And then after that, he just fades into the background and we never hear from Joseph again. Here's the next invitation that I think that we find. We find that God is inviting Joseph into radical discipleship to Jesus before Jesus ever launches into his ministry. This this is nuts. What is nuts to me is that Jesus, everywhere Jesus goes, he confronts us into whether or not we're going to live life our way or we're going to live life his way. Like when you truly encounter Jesus, you cannot be the same again. You can't. It's impossible. And this is what we find that Mary is, Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And even while he's in utero, he's upending people's lives. Even while he's not even born yet. And he's demanding that Joseph choose his way or the kingdom. Now, zoom out here for uh, for a second. And think again about what the scripture said. That Joseph is in this wrestling match, and here's what he's he's what he's trying to decide. I think I'm going to dismiss her quietly because I am a righteous man. Right? That's what the scripture says, because he's faithful to the law. And because this is what a righteous person would do, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. She's not going to be shamed publicly. And I'm going to go on with my life. And listen, he would have been totally justified in doing that. In fact, there are people who would have said, Joseph, this was so righteous of you. You're so upstanding. And here's what God is trying to do. And you see it all through the book of Matthew. This is like one of Matthew's targets. It's like, it's like, this is what he's trying to communicate through every chapter that he's writing, that everything 
that God had done in the old covenant and in the old law, God is doing something new now with the advent of Jesus. So, Joseph, what you defined as righteous, I'm saying that there is a new form of righteousness. Because sometimes, if we're not careful, righteousness according to the law is actually just self-serving and self-preservation. This is where legalism and this is where the law and this is where being a quote-unquote good Christian, we've got to be really, really careful. Because if we get right down to the core of it, sometimes this is more about you than it is about God. It's more about how it's protecting and preserving and propping up something that is ugly inside of you using the law and using self-righteousness to accomplish it. So let's kind of zoom out here again. And let's take a look at this in a whole nother light. Because God is essentially saying to Joseph, I want you to live the rest of your days as a redemptive shield for this innocent woman and for an eternal purpose that is on your son that you had nothing to do with. I want you to bear shame that you had no part of so that you can enter into the way of the kingdom, Joseph. I want to teach you a new kind of righteousness, not a righteousness that preserves you, not a righteousness that makes you look great, but a righteousness which is true righteousness. Here's the thing that blows my mind. God was inviting Joseph into the Sermon on the Mount 30 years before the Sermon on the Mount was ever preached. Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus is launching into his public teaching ministry. And he starts off and it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and the disciples came to him. Keep reading verse two. And he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think that Joseph was facing a little bit of poverty in spirit in this whole debacle, right? With Mary. I think Joseph was coming to the end of himself and saying, I have no resources for this. I have no wisdom for this. I have no strength of mine to fall back on. I can't even trust in my own righteousness to help get me through this. And God is saying, exactly. I want you to trust me. Joseph, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to you. I'm bringing you to the end of yourself. I'm inviting you into radical obedience and radical faith by following me as you submit to your child who is in your wife's womb now. Jesus, God was, God was introducing Jesus or Joseph into a form of radical discipleship before Jesus was even born. Look at the next part of the Sermon on the Mount here. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Here's what the angel says to Joseph. Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus. And here's why. This is going to fulfill prophecies that have been in motion centuries before you were ever born, Joseph. And here's what Emmanuel means. It means that God is with us. So Joseph, what's happening in your fiance's belly is actually the fulfillment of what I've started centuries ago. And listen, you're mourning right now because you feel like something's been lost. Joseph, you're mourning right now because you feel like something's been stripped from you. But I promise you, if you'll show yourself faithful to this baby and what I'm doing, you will be comforted. Let's look at the next part right here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, a new kind of righteousness. Not a righteousness that preserves our identity, but a righteousness that shows ourselves fully faithful to the spirit of the law and what God is doing in the hour. That's the righteousness that he's after. It's a righteousness that can't be forced. It's a righteousness that none of it can point to us. It's a righteousness that says, God, this is totally by grace that comes through faith. I'm only righteous because of what you are doing and what you're inviting me into. Guys, we could walk throughout the rest. Look at this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. If you look throughout every one of this, and many people call the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, they call it the constitution of the kingdom. You know what God is doing right here? From the moment Jesus arrives on the scene, he's inviting us into another way of life. He's, invite, he's, he's like totally turning upside down our notions of how to live and how to live life well. And I just, Joseph is confronted with this and Jesus isn't even born yet. Joseph is being invited into meekness and mercy and tenderness and forgiveness and suffering for the name of Jesus and his son isn't even born. Here's the next thing that I think God is inviting Joseph into as we read. And let's look right here, if we would, back in Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 22. Or let's look at verse 21. It says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is invited into a redemptive mission that is beyond him. Let me say a little bit more simply. Joseph is invited into God's plan that he's trying to work out for the rest of the world. Joseph is invited to participate with God's mission. So as I zoom out, here's what I look at. I know I'm saying zoom out a lot because I want us to kind of see the entire story as it unfolds. God is inviting Joseph into three primary objectives. Number one, he's inviting Joseph to encounter him in a new way. Number two, God is inviting Joseph to be formed into the nature of Christ's likeness, even while Christ is in the belly. And number three, God is inviting Joseph into mission. Encounter, formation, mission. As we look at Jesus, even while Jesus is in his mother's womb, he is inviting Joseph to see God in a new way. Even while he's in his mother's womb, he's inviting Joseph to understand that the kingdom of God is radically different than the kingdom of the world. And even while Jesus is in his mother's womb, he's inviting Joseph into a cruciform life. Will you lay your life down for me, dad? Will you bear shame? Knowing that if you'll cover my shame for this early part of my life, you'll make it possible for me to cover your shame and the shame of the world. Dad, will you lay down your life now? Will you, will, will, will you, you're justified, Dad. Dad, you, you could walk away from me and you would be completely justified, but I'm inviting you into the yoke of covenant faithfulness 
to learn something that'll change your life, dad. Will you do that? Will you help me fulfill my mission? Will you lay your life down so that I can lay my life down in the future? And we look at Joseph, the father, the biological father of Jesus. He gets no love. Joseph gets no love. And yet, the redemptive purposes of God that he serves by simply saying yes, 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 I'll lay my life down. Yes, I'll stay with your mom. Yes, I'll protect you. Yes, I'll keep obeying the angel. Yes, I'll marry her. Yes, no glory, no popularity, no possessions. All we have from Joseph's life is that he helped Jesus fulfill his assignment in the earth. Jonathan, would you come up this morning? Very simple message. But here's what I hope that this does. And I want to speak, I want to speak specifically, I want to speak specifically to all the young folk in the house this morning. Because I, I, I think I think somehow over the years, and I don't know where this comes from, I have ideas. But I think the idea of following God, I think it's been misrepresented. Particularly, it's been misrepresented to, to the young people that are in the church. Following God is hard. It's dangerous. It's risky. It's messy. Christians are not perfect people. Following God is, it's scary. It requires an internal battle that there's something inside of us, our own pride, our own lust for power and lust for beauty and lust for popularity, all of that that's so strong inside of us, guys. And the invitation, because it's always an invitation, God never forces us to follow him. It's always an invitation to trust him. It's always an invitation to lay down that part of you that is so strong, that fights against God. God is saying, just, just lay that down. And, and let me help you be who you really want to be. Isn't that right? There's something inside of us, like none, none of us really love to be hard and angry. None of us love to be selfish. None of us love to hold on to offense. We don't love that. We love to be forgiving. We love to be tender. That part of who God is inside of us, we love meekness. We love that. We love purity. We love it when we win battles against lust and violence and anger. We love it when we win those battles because it tells us there's something of God in us and something of God at work in us. We love that. We love it when we choose kindness over cruelty. We love that. But here's what the enemy's job is to convince us otherwise. It's to convince us that there's no other way for you to be the person that you want to be, so just give in. It's like Star Wars, right? Just give in. Just give in. Feed it. Give yourself to it. It feels good, doesn't it? Come over to the dark side. And yet here's what God says. Here's the invitation. Trust me with your life. And let me walk with you. And let me help you. 
And in the same way that I did that with Joseph, and in the same way that I did that with Mary, and in the same way that I did that with Jesus, friend, I'll do that with your life. There is a different way. There is a counter-cultural way of the kingdom that will produce the greatest fruit of your life that ultimately you are really longing for. It's what you really want. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? And um, communion attendants, you can come forward. And I want us just to just pause here and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. I want us to allow the Spirit of God to extend invitations to us, to join God in his God story, to join him in his countercultural kingdom, and to join him in his cruciform life, which means to lay our lives down in the same way that Christ laid his life down so that life could come to those around us. I sense this morning that there are some of us that are holding on to offenses and that we just refuse to forgive. And the invitation for some of you this morning is let that go. Trust me with that. Let me heal your heart. Let me set you free. I'll deal with them. You don't have to take revenge into your own hand. Give me your pain and give me your anger and let me walk with you through that. Some of us in this room are convinced that we can actually do life better on our own. And in this season of your life, that may, that may feel real true. But friend, I can just tell you that when we, when we follow that path long enough, you're going to run into a lot of dead ends. And my hope today is that the seed of God's invitation will just be dropped deep enough into the soil of your heart that when you find yourself coming up against some dead ends, that your heart's turned to the goodness of God. Lord, today I pray that every one of us in this room, that we would sense your invitation. That we would feel God inviting us into a life that is impossible without you. God, that you would grant us the courage and the faith and the grace to say yes. Lord, I want to pray today that for those who have said yes to you through some really difficult seasons, I want to praise you for your faithfulness. There's some of us in this room, we can look back at hard times financially. We can look back at hard times with the loss, miscarriages, losing homes, being thrust out of jobs. And we can look back and in the season, we didn't know how we were going to make it. But now some of us are on the other side and we can say, God, you were faithful. You broke us down. You built us back up. You never left us. You were there all along. I never want to go back to those seasons, but my God, you were with me. You carried me. God, we want to just say thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for holding the marriage together. Thank you for keeping us sane, God. Thank you that we didn't throw away our faith. We held on to you because you held on to us. Lord, for those of us that are going through just such challenging moments right now, I'm asking that you would draw near. I'm asking that you would give us the grace to say yes to you, to trust you in this wild, unpredictable, messy journey called faithfulness to Jesus. I pray it in Jesus' name. Friend, I want to invite you to the table this morning and that as you come and as you receive the body broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you, that new grace fills your heart and that a new faith emerges in your spirit. And I pray that today in Jesus' name, would you come to the table? You're all welcome.